Oeherema Yorana. You're listening to Tereva Neyao, the only podcast currently documenting the voices and lives of Tahitian American families and couples, the long distance, the love stories, our lives between Tahiti and the United States of America. We present to you Tereva Neyao. Kuraora, welcome back to Tereva Neyao podcast. I'm really excited to share with y'all this interview I did the other day with my friend Malia Erena Tafua. She's calling in from St. George, Utah, where she currently raises her four boys alongside her husband. Malia and I have been friends since 2012 when I met her in Tahiti. She is the daughter of Alex and Tanya Takurio, the former troop leaders of Hitio Tira. Malia is currently leading her group, Tefano Utira, a family group based out of Utah. I really hope you guys enjoy Malia's insights and the interview that we had together. So my dad, um, Alex Maitiera Wara Mapuhi Tekurio, he was born and raised in Papete, Tahiti, and he was actually raised by his maternal grandparents. Uh, his biological father is Alfred Wara, and his biological mother is Tepoi Mapuhi Tekurio. And um, they were never married, but my dad is the oldest grandchild in that bunch. And so his maternal grandparents kind of, you know, just like in any Polynesian culture, they looked at him and they said, I'm going to take you. And that's what they did with my dad. And he was raised by his grandparents who taught him a lot about um, his culture. They were born in Takaroa, raised in Takaroa. So that was his first language. And so he was raised in a setting that really encouraged cultural learning. My great grandfather, my dad's grandfather, played in a band. He was, he, he played in a band. And so my dad grew up in a home that wasn't just, you know, Toere, Tariparao. He grew, grew up in a house that had like trumpets and, you know, things like that. And so he saw his grandparents as teachers and they taught him how to be a teacher. And so he, as he got older, he developed his love for entertainment and was able to travel the world. And he received a contract to work in Japan and he had to hire the dancers for this contract. And my mom was one of the dancers that he hired. Initially though, this is their love story. Initially, uh, she hated him. She didn't like my dad. She thought he was too bossy and too mean. And in the middle of their contract, she, qu- she quit. She quit, she's like, I can't do this. I'm gonna go back to, my mom is from Hawaii. So my mom is Tanya Mahalini Ross, and she was born and raised Oahu, Hawaii. And she was raised again as a dancer, entertainer. She signed that contract to go to Japan, realized she loved it, but didn't really like my dad. And then, so they, they disconnected at that point. She went back home to Hawaii. My dad stayed in Japan and fulfilled his contract. And she told me the story of when she saw my dad again. And it was a funny story. One day she was with my grandmother, Lurlane Ross, and they were eating at a restaurant and they were eating outside, you know, enjoying the sun. And they just so happened, my mom just so happened to see my dad. This was after the contract, after she quit on him and she left. And she said she leaned over and told her mom, mom, there's that Tahitian guy that I told you about, the mean guy. And as soon as she said that, my dad walked over to her and said, hi, you know, just started introducing himself to my, to my grandmother. And 
you know, was talking to my mom, asked my mom if she wanted to go out. And my mom was like, uh, you know, and from there, there grew a friendship. And it was, it's just funny how it went from, I don't like him to, hey, I think I do like him. I think he, you know, I think he's pretty cool. So outside of the whole leadership, I'm a dancer, you're the leader kind of a thing, they, they developed a friendship and a love for each other. And they were married in Hawaii in 1978. And then from there, they had five children. Uh, I'm the second oldest of the five. We, I, I think myself, my, my siblings as well, we look at their love story as something that is unconventional. You know, at first you look at somebody and you're like, huh, I don't think I have a connection with them. And then through time, through friendship and understanding each other and each other's lifestyles and family, they developed such a strong bond. Even other people noticed that it was more of like a best friend of a bond they were always together they did everything together so through that connection because my mom signed the contract to go to japan although it didn't work there was a purpose for it and they reconnected again in hawaii that is a beautiful love story oh my gosh i never knew any of that i mean i knew that (laughs) i I read you know from his life story what y'all wrote about dad um i read about him going to japan and um, mom being part of the group, but wow, that whole backstory is really amazing. And you're right. It yeah. absolutely served a purpose, right? Could you yeah. tell me, um, you and all your siblings names, and then go ahead and, uh, introduce yourself for us. So I'm the second oldest of five children to Alex and Tanya Tecurio. The oldest is my sister, Tamara, Kuomana, Anai. Um, but we all call her Bebe. We know her as Bebe. Even our friends, even at school, we called her Bebe. And people would ask, why do you call her Bebe? And I said, I don't know. My dad called her Bebe. We'll all call her Bebe. And so everybody at school called her Bebe. Right after me, because I'm the second oldest, the third oldest is Hinano, Hinano Tanielu. And Hinano is, right now, her and her husband, they are direct, they're, they're in more of the movie industry. They just released a movie called Sosefina. So they're, they're although I tell the stories of our ancestors through creative movement, they tell the stories through movies. And so they're on, still in the performing arts genre. After Hinano is my brother, and I know a lot of people know my brother, Alan uh, Tecurio, but we all call him Taraboy. Again, a nickname that my dad gave him. <laughs> Even, I mean, everybody knows, his, knows him as Taraboy. Nobody knows his real name is Alan. And then after my brother is the youngest of the bunch, her name is Maluhia. We call her the baby of the bunch, but she literally was my, she was the, my dad's shadow. She was always with my dad. So if ever you see a picture and you see a little girl with, with ehu hair, with light brown hair, that's Maluhia. And then my name is Malia Arena Tafua. I was also always with my dad. I was the shyest one out of the five. He raised us so much in the culture that dancing wasn't always something that I feared. It was more something that was expected. I would always kind of sit behind him and hide behind him. And he would call everybody up to go do solos and I would try to hide so he wouldn't find me. And then he would go Malia solo. So it became more of a second nature for me uh, to go up and dance. But I was always next to my dad. I was always the person that kind of watched what he did, listened to his conversations. I wasn't trying to be nosy. I was just trying to learn from him. And so that's a little bit about myself and our little family dynamic that we have. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Most people see all the siblings, especially online social media presence 
a mm-hmm. lot of attention around Sosefina, a lot of attention mm-hmm. around um, the move from Hiti Otera to Tefana Otera. So I think it's really helpful when we're visualizing your family's story and also yeah. your story that we understand who, you know, the key players are, right? Like mom, dad, and all the siblings. Thank you for that. Um, I think everyone knows pretty much, especially, like I said, seeing on social media, all the different things about dad's life. I think we all pretty much know that you guys were raised in um, Orange County, I believe. Could you tell us a little about your childhood, what it was like growing up in Southern California? So I was actually born in Homestead, Florida. My dad had a contract to work in Florida. And at that time, a lot of the Tecurio side lived in Florida, um, Orlando, Florida, that area. So my dad received a contract to work in Florida. My mom was pregnant with me. I was born in Florida, but I don't remember anything. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, there's Malia. And then as soon as I was born, my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, she took me to Hawaii and I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years as, a, as an infant. And then when my parents were settled in Southern California after the contract in Florida was done and they moved back to Southern California, that's when I kind of came back into the picture. And I was about two, two and a half when I came back into the picture. But being raised with a Tahitian father who was raised by his grandparents, which is very, very old school. So that that connection, you know, that where you have your parents raise you, where you go from extreme traditional to maybe you have that in between where your parents are going to allow you to learn a little bit about the Western world, but keep your traditions. That wasn't there. That wasn't present. So we were raised very much in uh, a strict Polynesian home. And in Southern California, it was kind of, it was hard because we were in our little neighborhood. I think there was only one Polynesian. Yes, there was one Polynesian family in our neighborhood. And it was the Ka'aba family. And her name is Auntie Aroa, And she owned a group as well called A Hawaiian Experience. And her and my dad were really, really good friends. They had known each other from Hawaii. So we didn't have a lot of, outside of the group, a lot of friends who were of the Pacific Island descent, uh, who knew what, especially who knew what Tahitian was. So whenever somebody would say, what are you, Malia? And I'd say, oh, I'm Tahitian and Hawaiian. They would automatically think Haitian. And I was like, no, Tahitian, Tahiti in the Pacific Island. So there was a lot of explaining as a young girl. Been in, I grew up in Santa Ana, California, where the majority was Mexican, Hispanic. And so I had a little disconnect with my own culture because I was like, why can't I speak Spanish? You know, I felt like I needed to adapt to my surroundings, which kind of made me feel like I needed to disconnect from my culture. And if it wasn't for my dad constantly making us dance and drum, whenever we would come home from school, the first thing he did, it wasn't homework. We didn't do homework right away. He was in his garage waiting with his tuere and he would drum and he would sing. And that was our first thing that we would do when we would come home. Um, But being raised in Southern California, in Santa Ana, California, where I didn't have, there was no other Tahitian there. Um, We had a lot of Hawaiians. You know, I was proud to, I'm proud to be Hawaiian, but I didn't have anybody that could really help me connect to my Tahitian side besides my dad. Uncle Tuka was there as well. Uncle Tuka was there. And I do remember him being there as a young girl, but his children were much, much younger than me. Anytime they would come around, I'd feel like the old cousin that should be the auntie or, you know, that wasn't a cousin, but in our neighborhood was a little difficult, but we had a huge community and that community consisted of Nonacina. It consisted of, and Nonacina, it started off when my dad moved to Southern California and Estella, 
gave him an opportunity to share his culture. Having English be your third language, not your second, and then having such a thick accent that people kind of, they're aware of it, you know, and you, they're constantly asking you, like, I can't understand what you're saying. It really gave my dad kind of an insecurity, like, there's not much you can do, because nobody's going to really understand you. There's a group of people that helped my dad. Estella was one of them. She gave my dad an opportunity to share his talents, as well as provide for his family. And I grew up thinking that they were my cousins, because I didn't know any differently. I didn't know that I wasn't someone. He, he, we were around each other so much that to me, they were my family because I didn't have any other cousins um, that were close to my age. And then another group was called Teatro Productions. I don't know if anybody, Teatro Productions was the, the father group of Tupua Productions. It's Pete Saint Noah, and now his son, Stefan, owns a group called Tupua Productions. He also gave my dad an opportunity to share his culture. So my dad realized while I was young, there's a community of people that are willing to support you. You just have to seek out that community. And we felt very supported by our community. And so, although there wasn't many Tahitians, there was a group of us that understood each other because they left their homeland to start a new life. And even though one was Samoan, one was Tahitian, one was Hawaiian, one was Tongan, they all came together. And that's why we call them our elders, our tupunas. They came, they came together to help the next generation. I really felt that. I enjoyed my childhood. I thought it was great because um, I felt like I wasn't alone. I'd have to say, first off, I want to remark, um, I am finding, the more I'm digging and, and understanding the history of different Haitian families, Maohi families coming to the United States, I'm noticing like a trifecta of people from the Tuamotu specifically with Hawaii and then with Florida. There's like a connection yes. there between those um, three locations. And the mm -hmm. other thing I would like to say is about that is I'm very astonished that um, dad received that kind of support because then to some people that may just sound like a, um, not a legend, but you know, like, a, like an old story, an old part of, you know, someone's history, but I'm still seeing it right when, when my wife moved here, um, that was who she didn't find any other Tahitians, but that's who she immediately felt close to were the Samoan and Tongan friends that I introduced her to. I mean, she just mm -hmm. felt immediately like family with them. Like she could joke with them in the way that she knew, even if there's a, a bit of a language barrier, it was a lot of the same Christian values, a lot of the same family values. So it's really heartwarming to hear that your dad found that when he moved to SoCal. And he found it with, you know, Estella Reed and with Tiare Productions and their, their family as well. So that's, that's amazing. My childhood was great, but it didn't come without its challenges. Like I said, my dad's English was his third language. And he would say certain words and he would say certain phrases. And although I understood exactly what he was saying, people would go, what? You know, they would ask him again, like, can you, can you repeat that again? And I knew, so I felt very defensive of that. I felt like why don't you understand? Why couldn't you understand my dad? And, you know, so my dad always had a little bit of an insecurity that he was going to pass that on to his children. And it wasn't where he felt like, oh, I can't teach him my language. It was the fact that he was afraid that nobody was going to understand us the way that he had to. And he would always tell people, even his students in his studio, he would say something and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to translate it in two languages before I, or three languages before I can say it. And even in his old age, I would feel so bad, like, no, you don't, Dad. <laughs> you know, like, 
just say what you have to say. But the challenge came when uh, we were very, very young. You know, we would have uncles, like my Uncle Tukul, my Uncle Teva, like all my uncles that spoke Tahitian come to the house and visit my dad and they would speak Tahitian the whole time. No French, just Tahitian the whole time. And my dad would always feel bad that he was leaving my mom out. And so as I grew up, I would ask my dad, you know, how come you didn't teach us how to speak Tahitian fluently? Fluently, you know, you understand the phrases that, you understand the basic phrases of what he wants you to do. You get it, that clicks. But he didn't, he didn't teach us to speak it so fluently that we would have conversations on our own. And his main thing was, I'm afraid to let your, I'm afraid that your mom would feel left out because she doesn't know it. So I think the challenge was more for my dad, trying to find that balance of how far can I, how far should I take it? Should I teach them Tahitian all the way? But he loved my mom so much, he never wanted to exclude her. And for me, I really, really, really wanted to be fluent in it. And he, he always felt like, no, 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 you know what you need to know. You know, you know it through the Aparimas, Malia. You can translate an Aparima. And I was like, I think most people can translate an Aparima, dad, but not everybody can have a conversation with other people in fluent Tahitian. But as my dad got older, especially right before he passed, he said to me, his one regret was he didn't speak to us, speak to us in Tahitian all the time. He, he said, my regret is I didn't teach it to you guys the way that you guys wanted to be taught. And, you know, it's not like we never asked. We asked him all the time, dad, just speak to us in Tahitian. Don't speak to us in English anymore. And he's like, no, what about your mom? Your mom's not going to understand me. So I think most of the conflict came from him. For me, it was more regret. I wish, I wish, I wish, you know, because he's no longer here, that I would have just maybe forced him to, <laughs> to teach me to just speak in Tahitian. My husband speaks fluent Samoan. He was raised in Samoa, in Western Samoa. And I constantly tell him, you need to speak to your boys in someone because I know how it feels to not have your native tongue. You know, I know my parents brought me to America for a better life. I know that. They, tell, they told me that all the time growing up. There's opportunities here that my dad couldn't receive in Tahiti that he felt that he wanted his children to receive. And I get that 100%. But what would make me feel more connected to my aunties and uncles and my cousins in Tahiti is to be able to communicate with them more fluently. I don't want our children to have that same regret. You know, it's really important why I brought up, like say asking about challenges, it's not necessarily to bring up any harsh memories or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But what, I, what I'm trying to get at too is I, I do want our listeners who, uh, most of the listeners I found are other Tahitian American families or descendants. What I want to do is bring light to these challenges that that's a very common one, you know? I think that that's what actually probably all our families would would identify as a challenge, right? Would be, there's not just one other language other than English, but two, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's like that whole layer of French is something that say your husband's family or a, like a Samoan or another, or a Tongan family would not have to deal with, right? Because the yeah. other language would just be uh, Lea Fakatonga or Samoan, right? Yeah. And, and instead, um, with Tahitian, you have the Tahitian, then the French layer, then the English. Mm -hmm. It's like we are always trying to find which language is best for the kids to learn second, right? Or, yeah. or alongside English. And then always a lot of our worries, I'm noticing a lot of us are saying over and over in these episodes, worried about the kids not speaking the language, you know? So thank you for sharing that. But I think it really says a lot that 
well, even though you, you didn't end up speaking it, you still had the desire, you still had the heart to do it. And so you, yeah. you put that love out in other ways, right? Which is through dance and music. And then, you know, I, I am curious, how often did you go back home? How often did you go back to Tahiti or, you know, things like that to see your family? My first experience. So going back to Tahiti, I was eight years old when I went for the first time that I could remember. My dad said I went before, but I don't remember that. And the funny story about that was my dad got a call from his parents and they said, oh, Papa Wu is sick. You need to come visit him. And so my dad was like, all right. So he put me and my older sister, Bebe, on a plane. He, we went to Tahiti to go visit them. As soon as we walked in, we realized that it was a lie. They were not sick. They just wanted my dad to go visit. And I remember, I was only eight, but I remember that visit because that visit changed my entire life, entire life. Not only as a, a Tahitian, but as a teacher. Because in that experience, I met Mama U. I met my grandmother and her name is Vahineri'i Mapuhi. Um, yes, little woman. She is, she is mighty in spirit and in word and in demeanor. She spoke really good English because she lived in Hawaii for a little bit and she taught at PCC. And so she, I remember specifically we were at her house and she sat, she was sitting on a chair with one arm, with her fist on her thigh and her hand on her hip. And she said, Malia, come she's like tongure, tongure. and she would sing and she would make me dance and she would clap her hands that experience seeing my grandmother happy because I was dancing changed me at that point I knew that this was my connection to her at that point I knew that this was the reason why I'm gonna do what I at the age of eight and I remember getting ready to leave and I was crying my eyes out and I told my dad I'm not supposed to go home and I felt in my soul that I America was not for me. Like I didn't belong there. I didn't fit in. I was, I was the girl that, you know, was very laid back. I didn't care about certain things. You know, I wanted to just like, you know, walk without slippers or then, you know, go places. And I felt very much at home in Tahiti. And so that experience with my grandmother and my grandfather, Papa U, and we have the same birthday. Me and my grandfather have the same birthday. And my grandmother is only a day after me. I feel spiritually connected to them um so my first experience changed my life because every time I teach from that every time I I taught from that point on and continue to teach I always reference my mama U and my papa U. they are my inspiration now that my dad has passed my dad as well as my grandparents are always my inspiration I always think to myself would my mama would be proud of me would she be pleased with the choreography that I'm creating is this the story that she would want me to share and I think as a teacher, you have to reference the people that you love that connect you to the islands in order for it to be meaningful. Although I was young, that it completely changed my life. And then two years later, we went back again. We, and this time my dad took the entire group and um, we performed at the Capitol. I think, not performed, we went to the Capitol. This is when all the groups were performing. And I was able to see Tamaeva, Ekuranui, like all of these amazing groups. And I was only 10 and I fell in love again. And I knew, and again, when we were about to come home, I told my dad, I don't want to go home. Just leave me here. Why do you have, why do you keep taking me? And he was like, you have to come home. This is not your home. Your home is back in Santa Ana, California. But I knew in my heart, I felt like that was where I belonged, you know, but every two years we would go back to Tahiti. 
every two years. I went to Tahiti more than I even went to Hawaii. I think I went to Hawaii like only twice in my life, but Tahiti was a constant. And every time I left Tahiti, I never wanted to leave. So I even told my husband, cause we were planning on, hey, what are we gonna do next year? Where are we gonna travel? And he goes, let's go to Western Samoa. And I said, of course, if we go to Tahiti first, let's go visit Tahiti. But I told him, we might not come back though. We might stay there. In order for anybody that is American Tahitian to really understand, just go to the Fenua and go just stand, stand there for a little bit. It'll change your life. It'll really, really connect you to the people, to your ancestors. And I still feel very, very connected to them. That's so powerful and heavy. You know, there's a lot of people out there that um, they feel connected to Tahiti and they call it home. But, you know, you could say that all you want, but it's a calling. It's inside, you know. Yeah. And it's 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 up through your feet and into your 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 bloodstream, you know, and it's yeah. it, it made you who you are. It is who you are, you know, absolutely. So I can imagine that. And I, I feel it's it's most powerful as well, because I think about all the kids that um, we're seeing growing up here that are they have Maohi blood and mm-hmm. they're growing up, you know, here in the U.S. for various reasons. But I, I can just imagine them also feeling like you when they go back that. You know, there's a sense of belonging there and there's a sense of like, this is where I'm supposed to be, you know? Yeah. So that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You know, you, you explained already and you told us that you do have the group right now. Um, but in what ways are, are you preserving and practicing Tahitian culture in your actual household? I talk about my dad all the time. I talk about my, I talk about mama'u and papa'u all the time. I talk about my lineage and my culture all the time. We're religious in our home. My dad in our home had the scriptures in Tahitian, and I still have that in my home. And we also have one in Psalm 1 too. But it's not just about talking about it. I want them to live it. And it's funny because my kids are talking about, you know, getting a full arm sleeve tattoo, you know, things like that. And I said, that's all fine. That's fine and dandy. But it's like wearing, you can't wear the badge if you don't know what, what you're representing. And so... I want them to, the closest connection that they have to Tahiti is my father, just as much as my closest connection was my grandparent. And I don't want them to lose that connection. And the way that they don't lose that connection is by me talking about my parents, my dad all the time. I talk about him all the time. I don't talk about him as if he's not here. I talk about him as if he's present. Like, what would, what would your papa say? You know, um, when your papa was alive, what did he teach you? And my dad talked about his culture so much so that I feel that it is my responsibility to continue that. And continuing that doesn't necessarily just mean talking about the culture, it's living it. Meaning the number one rule that we have in our house is respect your elders. Number one rule. When I went to Tahiti and I was in my grandmother's house, it was her home. It wasn't my home. Although, you know, grandchildren want to make the mess and nope, we knew when the bed was set, nobody touched the bed. And so it's more of me teaching them the language. And how I teach them the language is, it's funny, my dad would sing uh, a, a lullaby to us, like, mo, moi, be, be. and he would sing that song to us all the time. I sing that song to my children. And so even the kapas that we learn in our group, everything that involves language, that involves the teachings of my father, the teachings of my grandparents, help me continue to live the way that my dad taught me. I don't want my children to ever forget him. 
And the way that they don't forget him is if I keep him constant in our life. And so that's my way of continuing to teach the culture, not just outside of the group, outside of the group, more so in my home. Um, and I have pictures of my grandparents. I have pictures of me when I was younger in Tahiti. My number one goal in life when this whole pandemic thing is over, and I know you guys are going there, is to take my children to Tahiti to visit my, my Auntie Arena. She is the closest thing that I have to a grandmother. I want them to have that connection to somebody in Tahiti as well. Thank you for sharing that. That's really heartfelt. Okay, I'm gonna hit you with the heavy one. What are some important things that you wish non-Tahitians knew from a Tahitian person and about being Tahitian, especially in regards to this whole dance community uh, that's operating? Phenomenon that's entirely almost without Tahitian voice or people. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, I'm not talking about the folks that are um, being paid for their work, you know, rightfully so. They're having people pay them for their choreography, their songs, their drumming, their themes, but that doesn't always come with a voice and an opinion, right? So that's where the real question is, is what are some important things you just wish folks knew? The number one thing that I wish non-Tahitians knew about our culture is it lived way before we came on earth, before we were even involved in it. It was still present. It was beautiful then, and it's beautiful now. I don't feel, even as a Maohi, I don't feel like it's my right to do anything to alter the beauty of a culture that I feel already beautiful. And so what I hope that if you're, if you're teaching Oritizi, if you're teaching anything that, ha, that is closely related to the Tahitian culture, I hope you're, you are mindful that there are still people on the Finua that do this day in and day out, not as a hobby, but it's their life. Whereas here in America, you know, you, you do this for a little bit and then you get too busy doing other things. See? So you, you say, I'm going to take a break from doing it and I'll jump back in when I'm ready. Here in Tahiti, it wasn't an option. You know, every morning, my grandmother would wake us up to say prayer. That was our, like, before the sun came up, we said our prayer, we cleaned the house, and we did some type of, whether it's language, dancing, music, it was part of our lifestyle. It wasn't an option. Um, so I, I hope that those that are, that really truly love our culture, that love it, understand that it isn't a pastime, it isn't a hobby, it's a lifestyle that those in Tahiti do on a day in and day out basis. Their children learn it. Families do it, you know, not just for competitions or for other stuff, but for family functions. It's something that is part of their life. Um, also, when it comes to some things that I think are important for those that are heavily involved in Orititi, like I said, I, it's a beautiful thing that I don't feel the right, that I, I have the right to change. I always reference, and I re refer this to every reference Tahiti, reference Tahiti. If you're going to learn Tahitian, reference, reference somebody that, you know, reference a somebody in Tahiti. Like, go back to Tahiti to, to get your information. Um, we're in a world where YouTube is such a common thing. I get that. My, in my generation, it was VHS. That's all we did. We would get the Hava VHS, and we would watch it day in, and we would kill that thing. It would be burnt out. But we always referenced Tahiti. Even my dad did. Whenever we went to Tahiti, it wasn't a vacation. We learned. My dad threw me in every workshop. I met a ton of teachers. He even went to drumming workshops. He went to music workshops. Always be teachable. Always reference Tahiti. 
And remember this culture is beautiful before we even came into it and it's still beautiful now. That's beautifully, beautifully worded. I, I'd have to say that I, I saw that a lot of people who were also Maohi were rooting loud and clear for you when you had the bravery to speak your mind on social media and repost a video or, or just voice your opinion about folks that were doing Oriteti movements on like Beyonce songs and things like that. I mean, so I get what you're saying. I'm, I know you didn't bring that exact example up, but I just want to kind of throw it in context. Like, I, I don't feel like you're just sitting here at and preaching it out loud. I mean, I've seen you actually voice it when you see it and when you're, yeah. well, we all see it, right? And, and I don't think that folks are willing to say anything, but I always feel like, well, if people in Tahiti are doing that, that's up to them because that's their culture. So if they want to yeah. change it, you know, that's them yeah. modernizing their culture. But we here in, in the States, especially if you're not Maohi, like you said, even you being a Maohi person, who are you to change it? Who mm-hmm. are, You don't feel like you have the right to alter it. And I, you know, I just yeah. feel strongly the same. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the interesting thing is because I'm not living in Tahiti, I don't feel like I have the right to do that. I mean... Well, yeah, I did. I did create a post and I shared that post on social media and it, it definitely wasn't to start a debate, but more for clarity that I understand that Oritiiti is exciting and fun and beautiful and, you know, people are, you know, they think it's sensual and all of the, all of these things. I get that. It is very beautiful to me. I never once related Oritiiti to sexuality though. Because when you're so young learning it, it's just kind of like, oh, we're going to dance. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But I never thought of it as something essential until I started seeing people portrayed as being more sensual than cultural. And so my dad, my dad, I, I remember I was a teenager and I went to my dad and I was like, I'm so upset. You know, why is it? Why is it so sexualized? And he goes, well, in Tahiti, you know, I understand when people think like that because girls didn't wear tops. And when you look at that and your mind isn't prepared for that, that's automatically your first go-to. The post that I created was more for clarity of, please understand, I would never do this to Siva Samoa. I would never do this to my husband's, you know, I, I respect it. Whenever I, I create something for the island of Samoa or any island, I reference people that have lived there that do it day in and day out. So for recently we had a recital or a showcase. <clears throat> I, w- I had an idea what I wanted to do for our Samoan section. And I referenced my husband and other people that specialize in Siva Samoa. Because my whole feeling is if I can't take it to the islands, there's no point in me doing it here. There's no point in me teaching my students something that I wouldn't take to Samoa. And I just want people to understand that here in America, a lot more things are accepted, but could you take that to Tahiti and will it be accepted in Tahiti? If you feel in your heart that you can't take it to Tahiti and it won't be accepted, maybe you should rethink why you're doing it because it all should be for the culture. That's what we're teaching our students, that we're teachers because we want to perpetuate the culture through performing arts. So if we're perpetuating the culture through performing arts, we want to do it in a way that is respectful to the people that are still living in the islands. We're not trying to conform our culture to fit the Western world. We're trying to make sure that the Western world remembers us in a way that we would be proud if our tupunas were there, sitting in front of us, that they would be clapping just like my grandmother clapped for me. 
that's what I want to teach my students. That's why I created that post. I just want people to understand that as a Tahitian, I do get sad when I feel like it's overused in a way that isn't respectful to the Tahitians. Sometimes I don't feel like it's malicious. Sometimes I feel like they're just doing it because cre creatively you can. There's so many different beats that you're like, hey, I can do this. Or Orititi fits with any rhythm, you know? The reason why there's drumming, they're drumming and dancing are brother and sister. They go hand in hand. You gotta keep them together. The, there's a reason why they were created for each other. Orititi and modern music, I don't wanna say modern music, were not created for each other. They're not brother and sister. So it's more of a clarity than it is anything else. No, I didn't. I didn't see that post as a debate, and I really hope. I hope, I hope you don't mind that I shared that. But no, 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 no. I know, don't. You know, folks knew about it already, but it's it's powerful, and it's good to get you, you know, on record, um, being clear about what you're saying, because I think it was very, very powerful, and a lot of people were. Um, I even saw somebody repost it and writing intention like "tano away," you know, like oh, man, that's right, you know, all this stuff and. Um, I just thought it was really powerful, but it's like, yeah, it, for me, I, I read that and I said, you know, job well done. Like you, you spoke up as not even just as your own self as a Maohi person, but also as Uncle Alex's daughter. Like that, that's, that's what I would expect coming from like, say his daughter. And I think mm -hmm. you did a, a, a marvelous job of defending, you know, what your dad would say about it. You know, um, would he want to see that choreography is being put out there with, the beats that we know with Pahe, with, with Hitoto, with Paea, you know, or does he want to see it? Like I, like I said earlier to Beyonce, you know I mean? That, that's yeah. the difference, right? So yeah. I didn't see it as a debate or an issue, but I saw it like, well, you're, you're defending everything that you learned from your dad, you know? I think the drumming. So when, when you listen to the when you listen to all of those drums put together for me, that can put me to sleep. Like that's my lullaby. I grew up listening to drumming and music and Tahitian music for me there it's already beautifully created and it's like the foundation to Orititi it's it should go together when you put both of them together you create something that nobody else can create it's like it's so it was meant for each other that's why I was just trying to explain that to everybody that they're meant for each other they're supposed to be together you would never separate a brother and sister so keep them together. And I, I, I was hoping that people understood that. And I'm glad you got it that way. Um, but if, if people really saw how it made a Tahitian feel, I think there would be less of those things going on. Uh, because I saw how it made my dad feel um, over time, I felt like, look, there's only so much. I, I can't force anybody not to do it. But let me tell them how a Tahitian might feel about it because I see my dad go through it. He very much loved, because he was raised in Laia for a little bit, so he was raised with at PCC. All of his best friends were from different villages. They all, you know, Fiji, Tonga, you know, and so Samoa, Hawaii. And so he came, he grew up with a mindset like, everybody's proud of their island. You know, they're all proud of what they can produce. You want to make sure that when, that you respect all of that. He was very adamant that, when you do Tahitian, do Tahitian like a Tahitian. When you do Samoan, do Samoan like a Samoan. When you do Hawaiian, do Hawaiian like a Hawaiian. Like he was very adamant that we respect every island to its utmost so that we can respect the people that still live there. I'm gonna take this in a different direction. It, it wasn't listed on like any of the questions I gave you, but I wanna bring up a memory um, and, it, and it very much connects and relates to what you're talking about, about 
you know, your dad's mentality, right? I, I'm a very big believer as well in, you know, there's no coincidences. I think that things are very much meant to happen a certain way, like fate, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll just kind of tell you that um, I was brought to Heva Irino pretty early on um, from my dad. He brought me on uh, maybe, well, for me, it was, it was in my teens, I, I was going and there was one that stuck out. It was 2011. So it was, it was a lot later. I was already, you know, like maybe 18 by then. I watched you guys and I just fell in love with the ending Aparima. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know what they were saying at the time, what you guys were singing about. Um, because I wasn't, my understanding wasn't very clear yet, you know. But I remember that my first trip to Tahiti was a year after in 12. Papa Gerard and the other Heikuranui members wanted to have a, a barbecue, right? For Namenzo and Hitiotira. Out of everybody sitting there, out of everybody, I, I, I could have sat anywhere. And I just sat down wherever there was a seat. And it happened to be right with you and your brother. And, oh, nice. Yeah, and that was yeah, when I, I like, you 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 were the one. I was, I was shy because I knew who y'all were. But, you know, I was just, like, you know, saying hi and stuff. And then you were asking me about stuff. And we were getting to know each other. And then I remember I just felt like I wanted to tell you about that. I said... I really loved when you guys danced that ending song in Heva Reno last year, 2011. And then I remember you telling me what the song meant and that you guys are actually doing it at Farerera, right? You, you brought it to Tahiti to do and you were laughing with me saying, I have to rent a son, right? Like every time, because it was like, it was about a mother who's dancing in, in emotion to, to think about that. Um, I think it was called Tefano, right? That dad, your dad called it Tefano, which is, this is the emotion that a parent has to let go of their children out into the world and the child, you know, will, will grow up kind of thing. And so you were laughing saying, yeah, I had to rent, <laughs> rent a kid, right? Because, um, you know, every time. I had to rent a family. <laughs> yeah, you had to rent a family, like, because <laughs> you were the mother and there was like a son, right? So yeah, um, I, I do want to, I do want to ask you about the song, um. So what ended up happening too is uh, around the time that uncle was um, uncle had passed and you guys actually announced the new name of the group. I was really touched by it. Cause I remember, Hey, that's not for any old reason. Like I heard his reasoning and I heard what you wrote. I read what you wrote about why it became from Hiti Otera to Tefana Otera. But I felt really touched by that. I said, I know exactly if I, if I'm saying this right, I'm pretty sure that that is exactly what this man's vision was for the name change because that song was about, you know, this, this journey about a child leaving their parents yeah. and going on. And so I knew exactly what that was about because I knew about the song, right? Um, could you tell us a little more about that song and anything you remember about what, what your dad had in mind with the song and the connection with the name? I'm going to try to remember. I'm so sorry if I probably get this mixed up with the other Heva Irinos, but um, in regards to that, I did have to rent a family because my family wasn't able, my husband and my boys were not able to come to this, to Tahiti at that time. And my youngest son at that time, his name is CJ, he played our baby. (laughs) He played our son, who eventually grows up. And even though in the story, my the dad wanted him to stay close to him. The dad knew that he had to let him go and explore, figure out what life is. 
and hopefully, hopefully he comes back. And so that, that whole story was pretty much written for my brother or my dad, my dad was every year. My dad goes, okay, I'm going to give the group up to somebody. I'm going to, you know, every year he wanted to retire. And then obviously he never retired because when you love something so much, no matter how tired you are, it's your passion and your motivation. So you keep doing it. So that story was pretty much written for my brother, where my dad wanted to give my brother the opportunity to go find himself. And if this is something that you want, you come back. And this is, and you know, we'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. We'll love you no matter how long you're gone, but this is yours. This it belongs to you. And it's so funny that you brought that up where Tefano is the last song. And then my dad gave us the name Tefano Tera because when my dad created the group in 1988, and this was after our trip to Tahiti, when I came back from Tahiti meeting my grandparents, the name of the group, Hiti Al-Tira, the reason why he came up with that is because it's the first town in Tahiti, right? That sees the sun. They're the first ones that get to experience the warmth and the, the, the feeling of the sun. And so my dad wanted it to be like that, where anything that comes off the horizon, the sun, the moon, the stars. So initially he named us because it started with just three kids, my sister, myself, and my other sister, in the garage. And he named us his stars. So we were the stars of the group. And of course, we got older. And then he transitioned it into like the sun, mainly just the sun. So as he got older and in the last year, we were debating whether we wanted to keep, well, I wanted to keep the name Hiti Altera. And I told my dad that, that I wanted to keep the name, you know, to honor his legacy. And But his reasoning behind that was, no, this is something that I created for myself. And I don't want you guys to feel like you have to live up to that you know so yeah it was that same year that he passed where i said i i went into his room i came home from work and i went straight into his room and i sat down with him and i said dad i know you don't want us to have the name hiti Altera, and i completely understand why you don't want to do that could you give me another name and he goes give me some time and then the next day he told me he come sit down at the table and we sat down at the table and he goes i have a name for you it's called Tefano Tera. and he's like you're starting your new voyage this is your journey, and I want you to know that no matter where you go, the sun will always follow you, the moon will always follow you, the stars will always be there. The Just knowing that he really thought out the name for me, or not just for me, gosh, for my all of my siblings, that no matter where any of us goes, but more so his grandchildren, because he really, my dad adored his grandchildren. He loved them and they loved him. They were his best friends. He knew that I still needed the guidance in my life. I wasn't ready to give him up, but he had to go. And so the name Tefano Tera, the voyage of the sun or the moon or the star, anything that comes off the horizon, that's him. He'll never leave us. He'll always be by our side. So that really related to, and I, I'm glad that you found that connection because not too many people know about that because not too many people know of our story in Heva Irino or that we even took it to Tahiti because you, you have one show and then you move on to the next show and you kind of forget the, the last show, but there was a, it, it's very special to me and I keep it close to my heart. And I know that even on my hardest days, especially as a teacher, because teachers go through ups and downs too. It's not just students. Teachers go, go through the ups and downs that I do have my dad with me all the time. And I reference him in everything that I do. I even talk to him. You know, I was like, dad, is this something that you think that I could do? And I, in certain ways, I see him still in my life. You know, there's certain things that signs that he sends me that I know it's going to be okay, or maybe you should move on from that idea, Malia. But yeah, that was the reason why he gave us the name Tefano Tera. I mean, I, 
I absolutely paid attention as well because, you know, the year after 2012 was when I began learning from Papa Girard and his daughters. And yeah. he had mentioned to me, he, he, he came actually to Huda in one of the years after. And um, he had mentioned, he said that his best friend's son was with you guys. And so I had made the connection that the son, Kevin, the father wrote the composition for the song because that yes. was Papa's best friend. I mean, they did all the music stuff together. Um, Papa was the writing and, and the, the, his best friend was the music. And so I, I made that connection as well. I was like, why, is, why do I like this song so much? I mean, it is be clearly beautiful, but I just, like, I couldn't, I couldn't not fall in love with the melody. And I was trying to figure it out. So it felt so familiar. Then I realized, oh, I like all that guy's compositions, yeah. right? They're all beautiful. I remember when I danced that song at practice. So the song was already created. And me and another, I love him. His name is Jerome Yon. He passed away recently. He was at our house. And so together, me and Jerome, we created the choreography for it. My dad didn't even know what the choreography was. He was just like, you guys create. I'm going to work on the competition piece. You guys. So the day that I showed my dad was at practice. And nobody had seen it except for Jerome. And I, as soon as my, my dad started playing, he got emotional. Then I got emotional. Then Jerome, Jerome, and then we were all crying and nobody knew why we were crying. I felt, and the reason why I feel really connected to that song, one, it's because I danced it and two, it's, it's because it's my dad's voice behind it. And uh, the story and the meaning behind that song, it's, it, it means so much to me. We did it at my dad's funeral because I wanted to make sure that I did it for him and the whole group did it for him. But it was such a special song. That is my favorite song. Out of all of the aparimas that we've ever done, because I felt like it was a connection between me and my dad. Let's just be real. Like most groups are not making their own music anymore. That was the gem of Hitio Teraz, hearing the original music that and compositions that came along with it, you know? So something I always appreciated. And I, I, I just, yeah, I wanted to bring that up because I just felt like it was an important part of preserving your dad's memory is not just the hearing from you, you know, the certain ways that he'd raise you guys and all, all those stories, but like a, a tangible memory too, you know, like um, the story behind that song, like when would that ever, when would you ever have the chance to tell that, you know, I'm really thankful for you to have that moment to share it on this uh, podcast episode. Cause I want folks to know the story behind it. I thought it was really beautiful and, now everybody else can can hear it and enjoy it as well, you know? So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, last question. As we're trying to bridge the diasporas of Tahitian American families together, um, whether it's, you know, us here in California, um, the families that are in Utah, the families in Florida, the families in Hawaii, um, and all the states in between, you know, what do you think it will take, right? I mean, I always mention this in every episode, but I really admire about the other Polynesian communities, the, the Hawaiians, the Samoans, the Tongans, they have their community set up and even they have their community in LA, all those people in LA somehow know the ones in Vegas <laughs> and, they, and they somehow know the <laughs> ones in San Francisco. And you know, yeah. we have this micro Tahitian American community where we, we all kind of know each other, you know, for the most part, but you know, what do you think it will take? We're in, we're in 2022 is it more online things like this? Is it the group? Oh, that's another thing is that your dad was a big um, supporter of the Tahitian American families group we made. He had made a little comment like, oh, you guys are 30 years too late. 
<laughs> he thought it was really useful and he was like i wish we had this when i moved here you know but you know yeah, what do you true. yeah no know, knowing that what do you think it will take for us to bridge us all together and and become a stronger community I remember when my dad did that because he was like, oh, I could have used this when I was younger. You know, you never want to feel alone in your community, but you know, you know, you're not alone, but you never want to feel like you are because you don't know who else to connect with. So you, you having this podcast and then also having different Facebook groups or social media outlets to connect the dots is really, really important because again, 30 years ago, they didn't have that. They had to seek out other Tahitians so that you don't feel so alone. And um, I think in order for us to bridge that gap and to kind of merge it, continue to do what you're doing. I think this is a great way. Yes, we don't have ho'olaleas, you know, those festivals, but we're small in number, but strong in spirit. I, I really believe that. We, there's not, our, our numbers in the community isn't as large as our numbers, in, you know, as opposed to the Samoan or the Tongans or the Hawaiians even. Growing up, I went to a lot of festivals where, you know, I'm, I'm, my mom is Hawaiian, so I felt really, you know, proud to be Hawaiian because there's everybody else around me that was Hawaiian and not so many that were Tahitian, but I was a very proud to be Tahitian as well. So you just having this platform for other Amer Tahitian Americans to talk and to share their story is a great way for them to feel like they're not alone. There's so many that understand and feel them. There's so many that have gone through what they have gone through and that have children now that they're trying to connect back to the islands, you know, connect those dots. It might be a slow prog process to get it done, but at least it's getting done. And although it was 30 years too late for my dad, you guys starting this is a, is a good way for the, the next generation to stay connected and to help each other out and to maybe create events for, for them to come together. And to see each other. What I loved is is seeing your dad would interact on the the group itself. He had you know liked all the photos that we posted, and then he even um, like messaged us one time. And I, I remember asking him like it, like I was like, oh, is this the daughter or is this you? And he sent a selfie back. He had his like he was even wearing the air mask, you know, but it was like yeah. on his iPad, right? It was like like from this angle up. And so I was just like, man, I love it. Like he he. You know, he wasn't one of those people um, who became older and didn't want to, like, learn things. I mean, he, he obviously used that iPad and was on, like, the group with us. And I love that he supported it because that meant a lot to us, right, to have um, older folks, you know, telling us this is the right way to go, you know? Yeah. Um, he really, he really loved it. He really did. And he, I said that this platform was a good way for the, the next generation to connect, but um, I don't want to forget our elders that are still alive, how, how much happiness it brings to them too, knowing that this is happening. Whereas it didn't happen in their, in their time when they were younger, I, I could see all of them smiling now going, yes, it's finally happening for, for this generation or, you know, and so my dad being a part of it, he was very much heavily involved in reading every post and responding back to every post. And I remember that. And it was, so I don't want to forget our, our elders who are still here with us. And I know this is a good way for them to just not only hear our stories, but maybe get their stories out there as well. Absolutely. I mean, and I didn't expect you or your siblings to see anything, um, 
you know, because at the time you guys were grieving, but when he did pass, um, I posted a photo in the group and said, you know, we lost one of our members of our Haitian American families group who was very active and supported us. And somebody else, you know, people add their parents, right? Though, if their parents are on Facebook, they'll add them. So someone added their mom. I don't know this woman. And she wrote a comment to your dad saying, oh, Alex, I'll never forget. We used to visit you and Tanya and we'd fry. She, 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 she worded it this way. This is why it sticks out to me. She's like, just so we could go eat your fried corned beef. And I thought that was so <laughs> funny because I was just like, you know, you don't hear people say it in those words, but you could totally picture this couple visiting yeah. your parents and being happy, connecting with another Haitian person and your dad probably busting open the can and, and literally frying it, you know? So I had this like visual picture of it in my mind and it made me happy. I thought, see back then they, like you said, they had to seek each other out and they were, yeah. they were overjoyed to be with each other, each other's presence, you know? And today it's like this 2022 version where um, I love seeing all the stuff Tefano does and all the ways you guys are, are um, keeping it moving. You know, that's kind of like our version through social media to see, see each other. Because I don't know when I'll ever come to Utah. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, and when you're out in Cali, I'm sure y'all got hella family to visit. So, you know, I don't know <laughs> when we'll run into each other, but I'm really happy we can connect through that group. And um, it's not just social media, but, you know, that group specifically, is, I feel, is very uh, healing for some. And also just, it, it just affirms, it's affirmation that there is a community that there are Tahitian people, voices, presence, families. And I love even seeing the other spouses that really care and you know are active as well. So I just wanted to thank you and your family for just being a um, really a pillar and really one of the um, families that we all can look to and as a, you know, like a foundation for how to make it work. You know, dad raised you and dad and mom raised you and your siblings to, to where you're at now. You're, you're helping to lead um, the culture in such a positive way. I hope people are, are, are following your example, you and your brother and your sisters. Um, and, and that's the other thing too. I got to give your mom credit because when I brought Fede to the first Huda Teti she ever went to, um, I remember like your sister saw us and escorted us to the back because she was like, oh, my dad wanted to talk to you guys. And we went back there and you your dad was so happy to speak Reo Maohi to, to Vairea. And they were throwing in Paumotu words even. <laughs> and your, you know, you, you say that he didn't want to speak Reo Teiti, Reo Maohi a lot to exclude your mom. But you got to give your mom credit because they were speaking and your mom was laughing along. She understood everything they were saying. You know, it was so amazing. Like understand everything. I think she was just down yeah. low, like trying to hide it from my dad. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. But you figure all those decades, right? And 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 finally, here we were. That that year was 2017. Um, he was saying. I remember stuff, that. Yeah, he was saying stuff to Vedea, and she was talking to him about living here. And your mom was answering in English, but she was very much part of the conversation. So, I just wanted to give love to your mom too. Is that's amazing. That's inspiring to me. Like, I, I hope I'm like that. Or I, I, you know, I, I, I started being that way when she's having conversation with family and I'm sort of included in talking and, or, you know, I'm just there, you know, I know what they're saying, but I'll, I'll still like kind of answer like her in English. So, but I, I think that says a lot, you know, so big love to both your parents, big love to you and your siblings and 
you and your husband and especially to you for taking the time today to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me just like some time to share my story and to honor my dad and to just, I really do love being Tahitian. I do. But and my dad was a proud Tahitian American. He, I remember when he became an American citizen, he was very, very proud of that. But he never let us forget um, his roots. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my dad's story, to share our story. And I hope that it helps somebody else who's raising Tahitian American children here in the States that you can still speak the language. They'll love it and appreciate it. I, I Again, I'm just very proud to be Tahitian. Well, rightfully so. Maruru Malia, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And much love to you and your family, okay? Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview and episode. Uh, usually, I end each episode with about 30 to 45 seconds of Tahitian music. And today, I have a very special gift that I was given permission from Malia to share this song, which is actually her father, Uncle Alex Takurio, singing an original Aparima that he wrote called Tefano. And it was actually performed by the group Hitio Tera in 2011, first at Heva Irino, and then duplicated at Fare Reda 2012. And it's a song that Malia and I were talking about in the episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoy. Oh, my God. 
Mom.